Our dog is trying to interrupt our podcast because she wants somebody to play with her. Children could be listening. Why? It's a podcast. Now the dog's breathing is heard on the microphone. (laughs) Welcome back to Screen People Season 2. Um, We're going to do a couple of different things this season. We're going to try new things. We're going to have other contributors other than just myself. We're going to do some solo pieces. And today, we're going to start season two with something very unique. We have a guest, and we're going to talk about one thing, just one thing, Black Widow. Uh, By the way, my name is Alejandro, which I don't think I've ever actually said in the podcast. Weirdo. I don't think I've ever introduced myself. My name is Alejandro, and I'm the host of the Screen People podcast. Way to be a stranger, God. Unfortunately, my guest today is someone who, her name is Shay. She has been married to me for quite some time. And Shay, can you just tell the general audience, what is your mm, opinion about podcasts? Fucking hate them. However, in spite of that, she has agreed to be on this podcast because this issue is so important to her. So let's begin. Black Widow. Released in 2021, this month. Uh, released in theaters and Disney+. Plus. Good times. That We'll talk about that That's later. That's a whole thing. We're going to get into the movie, but we also want to talk about how we got here and where the heck they're going next. Let's just start with the very basics. For those of you who just love this kind of trivia, uh, Black Widow started in 1964 in the Tales of Suspense, number 52. She was pretty much written as a Russian temptress. It wasn't until 1970 in The Amazing Spider-Man, number 86, where they kind of added, like, fighting and her abilities. However, after that, it was still part of the misogyny uh, storylines. There was always a sexism to her. There was always something. It was always about the men, which, unfortunately, uh, never changed. All boobs in cat suit. Years of being on all these different storylines in the comic books. We go all the way up to 2010. 2010 is the year of Iron Man 2. The worst of the Iron Mans. (laughs) And the introduction of an undercover S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who goes by the name Natalie Rushman. Sorry, spoiler alert, anyone who hasn't watched Iron Man 2 for some reason. They say she's in the legal department and she walks in and they're just, it's essentially a sexy, mysterious woman. Am I right? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And every line of dialogue in that scene lends itself to that. Yeah. My notes say objectified and sexualized in every way, pretty much throughout the entire movie. There's a picture of her in her underwear. She modeled in Tokyo, says Iron Man. And you're like, well, that seems really relevant to the legal department. So there you go. The introduction of the first female Avenger. And this is what we get. Looking at that opening scene, because we're going to take a moment and stay on this scene. Because this scene, in my personal opinion, kind of colors what we are going to see from her or what the expectations will be of who she is from it's, that point on. It, sent, it sets the Natasha stage. If you're not familiar with the scene, it's Happy and Stark. Yeah, Happy and Stark are in the ring. Stark is, uh, is boxing, like ring. boxing yeah. training, whatever. Pepper's sitting there doing work or something. And they're preparing for Tony to essentially sign over control of Stark Industries to Pepper. So in comes Natalie Rushman, who is there to... Um, Legal papers, I'm assuming? Witness the signing over with a Uh thumbprint, whatever. Anyway, uh, she waltzes in, you know, all boobs and red hair and looking like, you know, femme fatale, but in office wear. Every single line of dialogue is devoted to how sexy she is. It runs the gamut from Pepper pointing out to Tony that she is a very expensive lawsuit if he were to take her on mm-hmm. as his assistant. I think he's, she even says sexual harassment lawsuit. Yep. All the way to Tony telling her to get in the boxing ring with Happy so that Happy can teach her how to box or something, not clear on what kind of power move that was. And Happy asking her if she'd boxed before, you know, like booty boot camp or something. And I'm like... Jesus Christ, a man definitely directed this. It's interesting that you say that because then what we have, of course, is uh, Miss Rushman shows off exactly what kind of fighter she is, which I know you mentioned this when we started talking about this scene. You mentioned it as a male writing female empowerment. Yeah, because she kicks Happy's ass, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
with her thighs, notably, around his head. So just pointing that out, speaking of male fantasies, um, because that's her move, right? Mm -hmm. Like she flips over you and then she like grabs your head with her thighs. It's a very, very clear indication of what a dude thinks female empowerment means. Then the scene ends even worse than you think. What is the final line in that scene? Do you remember? Oh, my God. What was the final line in that scene? I want one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She goes in for the thumbprint and um, leaves. And Tony turns to Pepper and goes, I want one. Like, yeah. just just one. One of those. Like, she's a sex doll or something. And so that's the introduction to the character, right? So There annoying. are multiple moments both in this movie and in other movies where we see her, of course, looking like a bombshell. She has a clothes-changing scene in the back of Happy's car at one point. Again, this is all super sexy. She kisses Captain America to distract away from them being them, like, seriously. Like, I, don't even get me started on Winter Soldier, because, nah. And, interestingly enough, the only female Avenger at that time, right, mm -hmm. um, and ends up getting a romantic storyline. Well, I mean, and that's speculation around multiple different storylines, right? Like you don't spend your time wondering who Thor's going to get together with. You don't spend your time wondering who Hawkeye's with. You wonder whether or not Black Widow's sleeping with him. As the movies go on, the character slowly evolves. Mm -hmm. We get more of her. We get slowly. more We get more interesting things from her to the point that when you get all the way to Endgame, She's in charge. She is briefly in charge of the Avengers. Yeah. Um, Endgame. We'll get to Endgame. I'm going to point something out. It's a quote from Kate Shortland. I usually don't do this because I'm lazy. So there's usually any, there's never any episode notes, but we're going to change that. So I'm going to reference several quotes and several things that have been said or written about, and they're coming from multiple um, articles from Los Angeles Times, Time Magazine, you name it. So those, if you really want to read more, and I highly recommend it because there's a lot of great details in these things, um, I will put the, that in the show notes for the first time ever. Show notes? What? Show notes. It's but just a pile of links, guys. For those of you who don't know, Kate Shortland is an Australian director who was tasked with directing Black Widow. Why do they only create cool people in Australia and New Zealand? I don't know. I apologize to the fans. I should have this written down. I don't know what number of Marvel movie Black Widow is. Oh my God. However, Kate Shortland is the first female director of a Marvel movie. I'll take it a step further because people might say, wait, what, wasn't there someone in Captain Marvel? There was. She co-directed. And I apologize, I have it written down somewhere like in my Directing notes. with training wheels. So, anyway, there you go. So, number one, th that's the first thing about Kate Shortland. She's the first female director. There's a lot of things I'm going to say about Kate Shortland, or a lot of things I'm going to quote by her. But this quote, I think, just sums up what we've been talking about. She was a character created for the male gaze. Fuck yeah, she was. She does change, does get more story as time goes on. She starts dressing slightly less sexy. Right. And there's nothing against dressing sexy. Yeah, but there's a whole practicality aspect there. Like, how the fuck are you going to fight in that cat suit? Right. You're going to split something. <laughs> That's right. So then we get to the making of the movie. But first, before we leave the past, we need to go to Endgame. Now, Endgame is a tricky subject for a lot of people. We are not here to discuss whether Endgame is a great movie or not a great movie. Unpopular opinion, it fucking sucks. Well, that's not what we're here for. It's a terrible movie. We are here for one specific aspect the Russo of it. brothers can bite me. <sighs> now they'll never listen to my podcast. <laughs> Maybe they will. Maybe it will be an outrage listen. Fuck Maybe. you, Russo brothers. Okay, okay, okay. So, going back to Endgame. Shouldn't have left community. Not only does she start as the head of the Avengers, she sacrifices her life to save everyone. I'm, I'm phrasing it that way because of what happens in the end. I'm going to connect this to someone else. Gamora mm -hmm. also loses her life. Didn't sacrifice it. Got sacrificed. Got sacrificed. Not quite the same. No. But. And yes, they brought her back in a kind of weird sort of way, which was kind of lame. 
Um, but anyway, my point is variant Gamora. What you had seven hundred superheroes, and you had to kill the two strong women. Oh yeah, and you dusted Scarlet Witch in the last one, so she didn't show up until the very end. So just pointing that one out. So yes, okay. So here we have Black Widow, who has been trying to keep things together. And has been working quite hard at it, clearly. And this bothered me, and it's bothered me for several years. Then we have Hawkeye, who is now uh, Kill Boy. (laughs) Murder Binge. Yeah, uh, yeah, Murder Binge McGinty. Like, seriously, why is that your reaction to your family getting dusted? You don't even know what happened, dude. Again, not the analysis that we're going for. But what I'd like to go to is the fact that he's killed like a million people. So many people. And now like, you I, might, you can argue Black Widow has killed a lot of people herself. Yes, but she was but being lightly, controlled. But yet again, at the end. And that's comic canon. She loses her life. He gets a series. <sighs> right? I mean, that's that's what's happening. I'm so angry about Hawkeye that. Hawkeye gets a series. So we have this, right? She dies. Gamora sort of dies. Then we get to the actual funeral. What funeral? There wasn't actually a funeral. There was Iron Man's funeral. And she's not even part of the funeral. No, 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 no. Again, it's not this... even part of the funeral. It's not even. It's not even. It's barely addressed. Can this one is? Can this be when I go on my Russo brothers soapbox? We will uh, set the timer. <laughs> okay, so the Russo brothers. I'm sure they are very nice people. Um, I've never met them personally. Okay. And I like their work on Community. It was enjoyable and quite funny. That being said, they have absolutely no idea how to write women. I will give you. Two examples, the first of which being, hey, look at these fight scenes with all of the aliens and they're coming into Wakanda, right? And everybody's fighting everybody, except not really. You have all of our fantastic superhero dudes fighting, you know, male presenting aliens. And you have each and every one of our female superheroes fighting the one female presenting villain. What the fuck is that about? These are a bunch of badasses. How badass is this female presenting alien that she has to get tackled by four? And all women, of course, because I guess women can only fight other women, right? Mm -hmm. And dudes can't fight women because I guess that would look bad, right? I guess that's a bad visual. I don't care. I don't care. That's not realistic at all. And I understand. I am debating realism in a fight with a bunch of aliens from... Wherever they came from. Mutants, superheroes, all of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I recognize that that is what I'm arguing, but come on. (laughs) What fucking battle works that way? In what universe do they separate the genders to fight? That's not a thing. Boys on this side, girls on this side. And leave room for Jesus. Yeah. So we have that. And then later on, at the very end, when everybody gets undusted and it's all kind of devastating because Captain America is looking all ragged because, you know, it's sad, right? Well, you have this moment with Spider-Man and he's all cornered, right, by all the fucking scary aliens and he's just kind of, you know, there and he's pinned down and he doesn't know what to do and who should show up but all of the female superheroes in like a cluster because I guess they only travel together. Did they come back from the bathroom? Like, what is that? (laughs) And they all converge like they're his mom or something. What the fuck is that about? I don't understand. Russo brothers, what are you doing? And you spend the entire time with Natasha working her fucking ass off to get her family back. Her family that she defines as her found family of superheroes, right? And this is a big narrative with her, as we discover later on with Black Widow. But you can see it a bit with this in the determination that she has with trying to fix this. And then you have her and Hawkeye, who both responded in completely opposing manners to losing their families, because Hawkeye lost his blood family. Hawkeye went on a murder binge. Natasha tried to fix shit, because again, I guess women only fix things. And they go to the one on the one thing that requires you to sacrifice something to get the thing. And for some reason, I guess Hawkeye's blood family is more important than Natasha and her history of terrible trauma. You have Hawkeye's blood family that is apparently more important than Natasha's found family, which she found through decades of trauma. What kind of message does that present? 
oh my God, you work fucking hard to get your family back, to reunite everybody and save the universe, and you die before any of it actually happens? Spoiler alert if you didn't see Endgame. If you didn't, I don't know why you're listening to this. <laughs> I don't know why you're listening to this anyway. Okay, that, that hurts. <laughs> So that's my Russo Brothers soapbox. Y'all are some bitches, and you need to educate yourselves on how to write women, because I'm really bored with you. You and I talked once about this, and I'll just bring it up just to add it. Captain Marvel, you have (sighs) the most, supposed to be one of the most powerful beings, and what did they do? They sent her away for most of the movie, and then she shows up, and you're like... What does she do, even what does yeah. she even do? I was so confused about yeah. Captain Marvel and her introduction into this whole arc once they decided to not do fuck all with her. At the end of it, you you know, you're like, well, ca- can't Captain Marvel take the glove? I bet she's not going to die. I bet she'd actually just take it. She'd probably just absorb all of the she power. She would absorb all of it. Like, who knows? Yank off an we, infinity we stone, never resurrect know. vision. We'll like, never know. I hear there are. There's a shit ton she can do, and they introduced her to us as somebody who can do a fuck ton, so I was pretty excited for Endgame and the way she was going to fix everything, except she didn't. Why would you bother to introduce her? So we have Endgame. Endgame comes comes and goes. And still, nothing. And for years, people are like, where's the Black Widow movie? Years. We've we've been asking since (laughs) at least the Avengers, by the way. And no, I did not join the Flash Mob, but I was still asking. In reference to that, then 2015, I believe it was. Long after the Avengers. There was an international flash mob of fans in multiple cities all over the place for Black Widow. All my respect to you ladies. You guys are awesome. What were they demanding? They wanted representation. Yeah. The one Avenger didn't get her own movie. The one female Avenger wasn't getting her own movie. And nobody cares about Hawkeye. Nobody cares. Thor, Iron Man, Captain America... Spider-Man, who joined later. How many Spider-Man movies are there? What I'm saying, even after he joined the Avengers, he still got multiple movies. Doctor Strange got at least one. Oh my God! Nobody Black cared Panther about that one. got one. Okay, that an one amazing was awesome. One, right? that, we can't that say that. Awesome. that. Yeah. And Full Black Widow. To that one. Until now, zero. She had been with them since 2012, and she still had got nothing. I'm going to read you two quotes that I absolutely found fascinating. One is from Scarlett Johansson herself, who referred to her character as a chess piece for male counterparts. She is not wrong. Another quote that I'm sorry to say I didn't, I didn't write down who said it. I'm, I'm assuming it was the director. Say your sources. I don't criticize me on my podcast. <laughs> it's not nice. Um, you cited every other source. Anyway, this is the quote. You know how to write a paper. What's happened? For more than ten years, white men named Chris headlined more Marvel movies than women and actors of color combined. There are way too many white dudes named Chris in my age demographic. I'm just going to point that out. (laughs) But we finally get there. We finally get a Black Widow movie. It starts to happen a couple years ago. A couple of things came together at the same time. One, Black Panther. Black Panther is considered the game changer. True fact. The mind-blowing success of Black Panther taught us something, right? Which is that people will go see non-white guys in movies. Maybe even non-white guys not, you know, name Chris, right? And will also buy the action figures, just pointing that out. Yeah, Every action yeah. figure set that left out Black Widow. That's right. They left her out all the time. Dick Wads. Um, <laughs> Man, I'm gonna have to put an explicit warning on this podcast because of you. So this is an adult so podcast, Black right? Wi- yes, yeah. None of the children <laughs> listen to this on Saturday morning. <laughs> Parental um, advisory. So even the director um, said we would not have been able to make Black Widow without Black Panther. True. Another thing that happened that I had not made any connections with, and this is what I read: the Me Too movement. People saying, "Hey, how about we tell women's stories? Hey, how about we focus on this?" The Harvey Weinstein revelations come out. And shortly after, Scarlett Johansson is in talks for Black Widow. She, this is her quote, you cannot miss the opportunity to draw the comparison between these two things. The life that Black Widow has had, 
how she was raised, what happened to her, and the victimization of women everywhere, it's linked. You know what kills me about that? Y'all remember the Me Too movement, right? There was that whole viral thing on social media where you would just post Me Too if you had been sexually harassed or abused in your life. And we all have been. And so we all did it. This is not an unknown thing, y'all. So the fact that it took that movement to make anybody sit up and notice is a problem. But it just kills me that that kind of movement had to be a catalyst to having a female-led superhero movie about someone who has been a victim for the majority of her formative years. And just as another, like, swipe at Scarlett Johansson, even though I supported Captain Marvel, and I thought Brie Larson did a great job, I think the script was okay. It was a disservice to her. Brie Larson is a fucking badass, and she's a fantastic actress, and she got screwed on that one. Though it was fun to watch her hit Jude Law in the face. But even Captain Marvel got a movie before Black Widow did. Yeah, and again, that brings me back to, if you're going to introduce Captain Marvel, why don't you use her? Why why aren't you using her? While you've got Black Widow who is quite active and is being utilized to a a minimal extent, mind you. But you have Black Widow already, and you haven't bothered to tell us who the fuck she is. So people demand this woman be in a movie. Me Too happens. Black Panther happens. Black Panther opens the door. Black Panther was awesome. Here's another great factoid for people. Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Black Widow. Those are the three leads. That's it. Yep. Five billion movies, a gajillion dollars, three women. Two of them happened recently. And hello, white women. Another issue. Guess we don't need any women of color up there in the superhero ranks. There was a great comment on Really hoping next Black Panther takes care of that. I hope so, too. Jesus, y'all have the opportunity. And they keep saying that this is essentially Marvel course correcting its historical lack of representation. Do it faster. Yeah. And do more of it. Um, Jesus. Okay. You, you know how... Go ahead. Okay. Of all the... If we're going to talk about the series. So we got WandaVision. And then we get Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we have some representation there. That's good. But hello, white dude that none of us really cared about. I'm sorry, all of you Bucky fangirls. I, I have never understood it. He's cute, but at what cost? Anyway, so you have that. And then you go into, oh, look, it's another white dude. Hi, Loki, which I will grant is a fantastic series and extremely well written. But still, come on. Hello, another white dude. And the next one is going to be, oh, wait a minute, Hawkeye. I was really surprised at Hawkeye. Yeah. Because, it, it, again, it's like, wait, where are we going with this? I'm really hoping that it is really more the lead up to introducing his um, prodigy. And I'm pretty sure that it's going to be, but again, at what cost? So regardless, all these mountains get climbed and we get to Black Widow. We finally get to this movie. Fucking finally, which was supposed to come out, you know, in 2020, which we all know is a massive tire fire of a year. However, the director did point out that it did give her a little bit of time to kind of fine tune it because they rushed it. Because mm-hmm. they wanted it, like, now. They wanted to release it immediately. And like, it was one of the quicker Marvel movies that was made. Which, that's irritating to me, too. In its own right, doesn't it? Because, again, dudes, would you have rushed the dude movies like this? I'm really sure that you didn't. You just didn't want to spend as much money on her. And one, I'm going to throw one last thing. One last historical thing in here. Um, this was also pointed out by the director. People said, well, it's, it, you know, it's because we just weren't sure as if, if a female lead, you know, action star would really like carry a Marvel movie like that, you know? You can't see how hard I'm rolling my eyes. Rest assured I am. Kate Shortland said it very easy, very simply. She said, Hunger Games already proved this. Fuck yeah, it did. Uh, and, and I apologize. This might have been the writer. I'm not sure. Hunger Games with its multiple movies... Jennifer Lawrence showed us a badass female lead, and in that movie particularly, with like with some zero, emotional insecurities, yeah, with some some issues, still no box office problems there, and we Fuck were yeah. we were all going to see it for her. We all even read that prequel that nobody really enjoyed about President <laughs> Snow. Seriously, why didn't we do one on Haymitch? What is the problem? Mocking Jay or whatever for anyone else, we were all Jennifer Lawrence. 
fans. Sorry, and we all other wanted to Hemsworth see it. brother. Nobody was there to see oh, you. Oh no, no, it's fine. And and little Baker boy, you're fine. You're forgettable. Oh, he was um, so cute. Yes, forgettably cute. Okay, so true. Sorry, but anyway, that was just a point. We'd already had not only a female action star recently, but one with a series of films, successful films. Yep. So we finally get to the movie. I, we went to both of us went to go see the movie in the theaters separately. Yes, because children. Because we have children, um, and then so much money. And then because we wanted to be thorough for our podcast, we actually paid the Disney Plus thirty dollars to watch it at home. We fell asleep three quarters of the way in. We fell asleep. That is no indictment on the movie itself. It's a really excellent movie. It's an excellent film. It's but an excellent film. We have small children and we get sleepy. We get tired. So, um, but we've actually, so we were actually able to experience it at least part of the way um, in both, in both venues. Yes. And I think we both agree it's a movie theater movie. Well, it's an action movie. What fucking action movie don't you want to see on the big screen first? Like if you rewatch it, sure, that's fine. But like the first time it's gotta be in the movie theater. That's an experience. And also it's as big as it's like an entire fucking wall. Of action in your face. Yeah. My initial impression of the movie, I want want to point something out. I'll I'll be honest. I was not sure it was going to work. I was excited for whatever it was because, again, representation matters. A hundred percent. And I was going to support representation, but it was still one of those where I'm like, is this movie actually going to be any good? Can you please, how are you going to make this character good? And honestly. I wasn't counting on anything. Having watched WandaVision where I didn't care about Scarlet Witch at all, and then I loved WandaVision, and now I care. I didn't think I was going to care about a Loki show, and I cared, and... Really didn't think I'd care about Bucky or New Captain America. But here we are. Sorry, spoilers. Uh, Also, two other characters that I just didn't really care. Didn't give two shits about either of you. So I was very excited with the possibility that it would be good, but I still wasn't convinced. What I loved about the beginning of the film, it doesn't waste any time. Oh, yeah. It just dives right in there. It goes in. Ever Anderson and Violet McGraw play there. The child versions um, of Natasha and Yelena. Yelena. That's what I said. Okay. (laughs) They were great. They were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. um, P.S. Small Child, you are creepy singing American Pie. I'm just pointing that out. (laughs) That was a weird choice. Like, it was a little heavy-handed. Like, you drive past the lit-up American flag while you're singing American Pie. And the football game. Like, was it football or baseball? It was football. It was a little (laughs) heavy-handed. We're not going to go into every detail of the movie, right? Because that's not what this is about. I mean, I get it. They're sad to be leaving America. Right. But the intro, I need to talk about the intro. I swear to God. So they do this little bit of an intro of, well, for, let me clarify this. They do a scene with her and her, what we see is her family having to suddenly run off because clearly they're coming for them. Um, and we get to, we are introduced to, of course, Natasha, Yelena, their father, who we find out later, his name is Alexi. David Harbour. Incredible. Is there anything that man can't do? Mm. Um, Melina, played by Rachel Weiss. Speaking of Weiss, first of all, that's what I said. Rachel Weiss. Second of all, and and so there's this very big. Like, also, is there nothing she can't do? It's this very big, intense moment, and I think that was also the thing. David like Harper's hair was so. They floppy. hit the ground running yes. from the moment the movie starts, and your your heart is in your you know just pounding, and you see a young Natasha already getting screwed up with life, right? And you don't understand it, and they they will explain it. But you see this happen, so you're like, yeah, cool, this is how we're going to begin. So, so yeah, so we have this this flight to Cuba. And again, watching this character, I'm going to focus on Natasha for a second. Um, you're watching this young character. I mean, I don't know how old she was. Um, I think that they framed her as like 12 or 13. Yeah. But even even then, you see her unarm a man, Take a gun. Scream at them in Russian. And then suddenly, out of the blue, scream at them in Russian that she's going to shoot them if they come anywhere near her sister. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. It's exceptionally done. And then we get what I call the intro. Huh. The intro. <laughs> that was the knife going into my chest, by the way. Smells like teen spirit. Oh, Jesus. 
is the song that they use for the intro. It and is done so by slow. Malia J. It's a very slow version of the original Nirvana song. And I say slow, not in a bad way, but in no. a Jesus, they're just going to like that knife that just went into my chest. They're just just twisting it slowly into my chest at that point. I think this is the most brilliant scene or a series of scenes. It's a sequence. Yes. Because for me, what it did was it changed the entire narrative of who Black Widow is and where she comes from. In the briefest of way to describe it, both girls get drugged and put into what clearly are like truck containers with a bunch of other girls. And we're talking young girls. They got human trafficked. They change the story and say, not even change the story. They say, let's call it what it is. That's realism, because this I, story. I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong. I, my memory could be wrong. But I feel like in the past, they give us this kind of like, she was in this very strict Russian program. And they had to learn ballet and fighting. And you're like, oh, that sounds kind of horrible, I guess. Um, and then I, they must have taught them to be sexy ladies and all that. And in this one, they go, no, 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 no. These are child soldiers, bitches. These, these children have been child trafficked against their will and turned into killers. And suddenly, Natasha, you just see her with a different eyes. You're like, oh my God, this has been happening to you your whole life. And on top of that, two seconds into that intro, you realize Natasha knows what's going to happen because she's been here before. Yep. Her sister who's six... Doesn't remember last time. Has no idea. And then they're separated. And of course, again, spoilers, they're not sisters. Yeah, not... They're two child agents. Speaking of found families, anyway, um, yes. from an emotional standpoint and from a female standpoint, I look at that intro and go, like, my initial gut reaction is, yeah, that could be me. That could be my kid. You know, my female child. That's fucking devastating, isn't it? And in a series of scenes, they explain what the Red Room does to these children. In a very brief amount of time, you get an incredible amount of information. That's it. That's all you need to know about Natasha and Yelena. Natasha and are. Yelena are created out of trauma. They are made of trauma. Their, their very existence is traumatic. So that's a fun way to start a movie. Um, <laughs> then this was something else that um, the director talked about. After Me Too, after all of this, not only did she say, we can make a movie that actually talks about real stuff, she said, we can even joke about women's bodies and what happens with women's bodies. <laughs> and now, I, I explained this to you earlier, there has been some criticism about this. Some Why people are thinking that it's like, you know, it's not polite or cold or whatever. Their bodies, get the fuck over yourselves. And this is a funny way to introduce something oh, that I'm really sorry. happened was to a child. Was it acceptable when in um, the second Avengers movie, when Nat was all like, I'm a monster because I got fixed? You know, just like you, Hulk. Now, that's not how I interpreted that scene. I read it as her feeling that she, she was a monster because of the number of people that she had killed involuntarily. But, you know. Be that as it may, a number of people read that particular scene as her believing that she's a monster because she does not have a uterus and can no longer bear children. Somehow that was the only complaint about that scene, not it's not appropriate to talk about. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, when we're actually talking about, yeah, this is the mechanics of not having a uterus, and P.S., let me mention the fallopian tubes, suddenly, oh my God, it's inappropriate. Oh no. We can't talk about that. Do me a favor. Tell our listeners, not viewers, because I don't have viewers. Tell our listeners what you hear about that particular scene. So I hear... Sorry, let me set the stage. They're in a helicopter. They have just broken out their fake dad, Alexei. Super soldier Alexei. Super soldier, Russian super soldier. Gone a bit to seed, but he's been in prison. It's not his fault. Natasha and Yelena get a helicopter, fish out their, their fake dad, Hi, fake dad. From prison. And guess what? They're ticked at him because after the Cuba thing, he's just like, see ya. And they both get sent to the Red Room. And also, he doesn't know jack shit. So that helps them not at all. And they just went through this annoying rescue for nothing. Correct. And what does he say? 
Uh, he gets punched in the face by Yelena, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Yelena um, punches him in the face while she is flying the helicopter, by the way, which is a badass move. Well done, Yelena. Um, and he asks her why she's so aggressive. Is it her time of the month or something? And she goes... I don't get my period dipshit. I don't have a uterus. And then she goes into, when you go to the red room, they just they just get right in there and they rip it right out. And he's like, Jesus, I have to be so graphic about it. And then she's like, oh, that's a shame. I was about to talk about the fallopian tubes, but okay. And that's fucking hilarious. That's the best way to describe that because that's what they do when you get a hysterectomy. They go, just go right in there and they rip it right out. And it does, I mean, I think it does two things, right? Well, it gives you ownership. First of all, okay. there's the comeback to the stupid fucking period joke that you hear in every other fucking thing. Oh, my God. You can't have emotions without being on your period. Oh, no. It's fine if you guys just punch people in the face. That's just normal dude stuff. Mm. Every other day, just punching That's people every in the movie. face. I mean, you don't have to be on your period to do that if you're a dude. But... Secondly, it takes ownership of that moment. It's, no, 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 no. We're going to go into this. You brought this subject up? Oh, no. I'm going to take it 17 steps further, and you're never going to bring this shit up again. I think there's also another level of that, which is, oh, you don't understand, right? The little girl that you knew, this is what they do to little girls. You know, the little girl that you didn't in any way protect from going to the Red Room, this is what they do to people. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that, but I'm mostly just getting... Since mm-hmm. when do you have the right to bring up a fucking period? Fuck you, you asshole. And P.S. extra kudos to the director and the two actresses who saw that line written and went, what the fuck is this shit? And the director was like, do whatever you want in this scene. If we like it, we'll keep it. If we don't, we'll just cut the whole fucking thing. And uh, Florence Pugh knocked it out of the park because she's a fucking. We're gonna take a moment. Florence Pugh. She's a powerhouse. Okay, so uh, for anybody who's sad that I haven't brought up any random fact recently, the character of Yelena was introduced in the comics in 1999. Yelena is played by the amazing Florence Pugh, who delights me in so many ways. Whose character ended up being written in the most interesting way because she and Natasha are extremely similar. Their reactions to things are different. But also, Yelena ends up being used throughout the movie to point out things about Black Widow, the Avenger. I love it so much. And to make fun of. Yes. Completely make fun of Black Widow. I love how they build on that pseudo-sister relationship Mm -hmm. that they have not had since Yelena was six and uh, Natasha was 12 or 13. I freaking love that. Because, you know, from their first fight together, when you can tell that they don't want to kill each other, they definitely want to hurt each other. Yes. They don't want to kill each other. Because if they did, they would have done it. Yeah. Somebody would have killed the other one by now. But it's really, really hilarious to see, you know, Natasha shove Yelena's face down in that way that you definitely did with your younger sibling, because or your older sibling, depends on who was bigger, saying, stay down, stay down, because she doesn't really want to hurt her that badly. But she will if she keeps going. But you're being fucking annoying, so just chill the fuck out. I found, as somebody who loves stage combat and fighting in movies and such, they made their fighting so gritty. So good. There was no, it wasn't pretty ballerina dancing. It was raw. Mm -hmm. It was like punch in the mouth, make you bleed. Something else that I loved about about Florence Pugh, I'm going to just, you know, wax rhapsodic about Florence Pugh for the entire latter end of this because I can't help it. Mm -hmm. Something that I love about her, and I mentioned this last night, was that when she moves in certain ways, like, like stoops down or whicks herself up into the helicopter. She makes noise, you know, like a human being does. She's not like a sexy panther because you get sexy panther moves with Natasha. She doesn't make noise. She doesn't grunt. That's not a thing. No, they, they've definitely made Natasha very, very pristine for most of mm-hmm. the Marvel history. And you do even even her laugh, even Yelena's laugh. Ha! Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, natural human being like laugh that's not sexy. It's not trying to be. Bitch. 
Speaking of sexy, let's talk about the costumes. So I love the costumes in Black Widow in Black Widow for the most part. Um, there is still some of that whole, you know, unitard, let's hug our bodies, move, you know, action going on. A little bit. But it's l- way less than usual, and it's in layers. And yeah. everybody knows that it's more practical to dress in layers. And I really appreciate that about this movie. Yeah. Just from a costumer's perspective, because I am a costumer. So I look at this kind of shit and I'm like, yes, of course your vest has a fuck ton of pockets. That's so practical. I think even even the other widows, I think if you were to take a, an image of Natasha from a couple of years ago and combine it with her costumes in this particular movie, her costume and everyone else's costumes as far as the women... I think you would see a noticeable desexualization. And also from a costumer perspective, you will note that Yelena's hair is pulled back for the entirety of the movie away from her face. There are no cute little strands falling on her face. She never just takes her hair down and whips it around at any point because that would definitely happen in a movie directed by John Favreau or the Russo brothers. <laughs> and uh, quote me on that one. That would 100% happen. It's audio. You you know, you're quoted yourself. So sure. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, 100%. Yeah, what no, you're happened? Right. No, you're absolutely right. I remember that. She never took off her ponytail. Joss Whedon, I mean, like her hair was like in this cute little bob thing, and which is nice. My hair is in a cute little bob thing, and it 100% gets in my face like all the time when I'm wrangling small children. I, yeah. I can't imagine how badly it would get in my face if I was trying to murder aliens, you know, with a spear, which is about what she had in that movie. But anyway, so from a costumer perspective, I love that their hair is pulled back. Uh, Natasha's hair is fully back off of her face for most of the movie. The most down it gets is braids braided off of her face. So it does not get in her face. I think it's down like at the very beginning when she's hiding in Norway. Um, anyway, oh, Taskmaster. 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 Nobody expected the Taskmaster. That was such a screwed up piece of storytelling. Oh my God. I... You know what? I love that it alleviated Natasha of that last bit of guilt about her defection because, and, and, and this is, here's another thing that bothers me. Here we go. About Black Widow being released now instead of, you know, before the Avengers, which is when it should have been done mm-hmm. by the same director, with the same actors, don't care how old Florence Pugh was, she, she would have been still fine. She would have been amazing. Go ahead. Doesn't matter. Anyway. She's, she's younger than me, I think. Anyway. Um, no. So the thing that really bugs me about that is that she has a lot of guilt about what she did while she worked for the Red Room and what she did while she worked for Hydra and what she did to defect from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have like random quiet references to Budapest. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, cool, Budapest. I'm really glad about that inside joke. Right. Super cute, guys. And your inside joke, I don't understand that reference at all if you haven't read the comics. Um, Which the majority of movie viewers haven't. And they're written for people who have not read the comics. Yeah. So the fact that we had to get all the way to 2021 to find out that she killed a little girl intentionally. Mm Mm-hmm. So she could kill her dad. Yep. That's uh, a fucker right there. And then she didn't actually kill her. So like the emotional release in that, her having the knowledge that she didn't actually kill that girl, but also the compounded guilt of, I didn't kill you, but you live in torture land forever. Again, if you haven't watched the movie, I don't know why you're still listening, <laughs> but Drakoff, who's in charge of the... Red Room. Drakoff has got some issues. Brilliantly played by uh, Ray Winstone, by the way. I, I will I will take a moment to say this. I have to appreciate he was a fucking fantastic villain. Very Everyone, I, you know, in some movies, they pick the most beautiful people or whatever to be in the movie, regardless of whether or not their skills are the right thing. This movie, how they cast it, they cast it full of brilliant actors Every small part, everyone was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so even, again, Drakov, who, like you actually said, he could have been a caricature of a villain. 
And he wasn't. He was terrifying. And he was an older man, but he played it terrifying. He was so terrifying. Mm-hmm. That man was chilling. I, honestly, the scene with uh, Melina, mm-hmm. where you come to realize that the character of Melina is also part of the Red Room, and she's completely controlled by Drakeoff. When he grabs her by the hair, mm-hmm. it's you're just terrified. And you realize this is a sick man. And... Again, with the storyline, which they point out, he is controlling these women all over the world. They've all, they're all under his control. And Taskmaster is, of course, part of that. Again, I know you already watched the movie, so I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> the Taskmaster, which I still have issues with the costume. I don't care if it was like the comics. He look, they look like right out of G.I. Joe. Okay, the disclaimer um, for this episode is going to be spoils all of the marvel movies ever don't listen if you haven't watched them all (laughs) yeah if you haven't and the show if you have skipped please don't listen seriously we're gonna gonna ruin everything we're gonna ruin Um, loki for you we're gonna ruin falcon and the winter soldier i mean captain america for you however there is a comment that he says and i don't remember the exact quote so i apologize but essentially he says they're the perfect things for him to collect, young girls, because they're like garbage. Yeah. Nobody cares about them. And he speaks of this on a world view. Yep. Nobody cares. They're disposable. Nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to notice. And that hurt to hear. That was like, whoa. Well, and that's compounded by um, Melina's statement to Natasha earlier about Natasha's biological mother, who was persistent. She didn't want to give up Natasha. Which is something she doesn't discover until the very end of the movie. She doesn't, she never wanted to give her up. She never wanted her to be in this program away from her. And so she spent her time trying to track her down. And she was so persistent that they had to assassinate her. She wasn't a superhero. She wasn't anybody. She was a mom who did not want to give up her daughter. And that is, number one, devastating. But second of all, it contradicts a little bit, in a good way, the narrative that these girls are garbage and they will not be missed. Somebody, somebody will miss, somebody will miss them. We get to the end of the movie. You get so wrapped up in the story, this amazingly interesting, deep, moving story. And it's the after credit scene that hit me like a rock because I didn't see it coming. I forgot. You get to the end. Yeah, you Florence watch. Pugh in those wacky ass clothes with her puppy. She shows up in that after credit scene. And those wacky ass pattern clothes. And there is a tombstone by a tree. And I thought, oh my God, she found Natasha's mom. Because that was the description. Yeah. It's a tombstone by a tree. And then you read what it says. And then I realized. Natasha's not alive anymore. This is it. This was the past. This incredible character, this incredible backstory. And it made me so angry. And this is what I'm going to curse. You could have done this character so well this entire fucking time. And instead, she's just dead now. And now you killed her. Fucking assholes. And yes, did she deserve her own movie this way? Damn right she did. But really? We kill her? P.S. One of my notes um, says that, hey, now that we're entering the multiverse of madness, there are variants. She might not be fully dead. That leads to my conclusion. Loki opened the door. Can we reset the timeline and bring her back? How many timelines can we reset? It's possible. That'd be so fun. I did find a quote, and it's not great. She was asked. Why would you burst my bubble? And she said she doesn't know if she could commit emotionally to a multiverse storyline. She said she wasn't sure and that she would be pondering it. If it's the same director, would you consider it? My hope is that she sees the reaction to Black Widow we and need that people you. want more Black Widow. We need you, Nat. And we thought that the and, sacrifice was bullshit. And to be fair, in one of the articles that I read, she is 100% Super pro Florence Pugh starting her Marvel journey. We can have more than one female superhero with the Avengers. That is not, there's no rule saying that we can't have more than one. I mean, there can only be one. That's not a thing. This isn't Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So is there a possibility that we could get Black Widow back? I think so. I'm hoping that the response to the film is great. So great 
that after they're done fighting a lawsuit. Yeah, P.S. Scarlet Disney's dicking you over. Fight that shit. For those of you who don't know, I will also put a link uh, that came out in the last couple of days about the fight that Scarlett Johansson and her legal team are having with Disney+. Plus. They wouldn't do that to Chris Evans or Robert Downey. In summary, they said they were only going to do a movie release in the theaters, and then Disney changed their minds. And Scarlett's contract profits were based on box office returns. That's right. And so, and by the way, I, I want everyone to know, I actually looked this up. This was brought up two years ago. It was yep. two years ago that Disney started thinking about doing this. And Scarlett's legal team said, hey, 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 if that's the case, we need to change the contract. And Disney was like, oh, no, we're not no, going to do it. It's, blah, blah. it's not a big deal. Why would that happen? I will point out, as of that article, which was a few days ago. Dick's changed other contracts. Yes. Um, Marvel dealt with that issue and apparently dealt with it better than Disney Plus did. Um, I will point out, and I'm very happy to report this, as of when this article was written a few days ago, Black Widow had made $158 million. It was predicted to make maybe 90 It's made $158 million at the box office. It has made $60 million on Disney+, Plus, which is a lot as well. Yeah. The movie theater owners are furious. They yep. are referred to in one of the articles saying that they cannibalized the movie. They lost their blockbuster. They could, the potential for this movie at theaters was Black Panther-esque. Yep. And they screwed them over by letting it go to Disney Plus. Which, again, global pandemic, I understand not wanting to go to movie theaters, particularly if you have children who cannot be vaccinated. Children who are, some of those children who are of age to see this movie. That being said. You wait. Yeah. You, all you had to do was delay the Just release on month, Disney Plus. Man. Yeah, a month. Wait a fucking month. Let the movie explode at the box office and then release it. On Disney Plus. They'd they did it with other things. We'd still pay $30 to see it. Damn right we would. That was a lot of money, by the way, Disney Plus, for two people who fell asleep close to the end. I just... <sighs> Think of the parents. One thing you're going to notice in this movie, and this is just a random little tidbit before we say goodbye, Florence Pugh always looks much shorter than Scarlett Johansson in the movie. Yeah. She always looks like a little sister. That's the point. She's yes. taller. By Flor- like an inch. Florence Pugh is you. exactly one inch taller. Yeah. And the whole time like I'm watching inch. the movie, I'm like, oh, wow. It's like she's short. Okay. Oh, end of note. Okay. So I'm not a large person. I'm quite short. Yeah. And um, until the past couple of years have been quite petite. Uh, and still by many and very, very clear cultural standards. And, also, and, and quite small. Okay. Um, that being said, I look at Florence Pugh in this particular action role and go... How cool is it to see somebody with my body type up there? Because she's not like willowy, like boobs and butt and no waist like Black Widow is. She's like a person. And like arms that have like nothing. Yeah. She's like a real person. And it's really cool to see that she has like arms that aren't just like streamlined, dehydrated muscle. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. It's just super cool to see. And uh, that cannot be understated, and we need to see more diverse body types going on, too. And I hope that this is the beginning, and this is like a wild understatement of diverse body types, but at least it's a fucking start. She's not Lara Croft, guys, and that's awesome. So in summary, what would you say to people is your final impression of Black Widow? Watch the fucking movie! Jesus Christ. This is why she's not on the podcast. All of you who watched the first Captain America movie and the second Thor movie, if you sat through that, you'll enjoy this. Thank you so much for upsetting (laughs) all my Marvel fans. I think that's lovely. Thank you for your final thoughts. Uh, Shay is just trying to guarantee that I never bring her back on. I do what I can. And for everyone else, I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.